Good morning, Grace. Today's reading is from John chapter 13. And in the Pew Bible, it is page 900. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you were clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you were clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, and he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, 
Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. So we're in, uh, we're in our uh, series called Disciplines of Grace. Today's going to be the last discipline. Next week, we'll jump back into Luke, the gospel of Luke. You know, we want to be a church. Obviously, we want to be a church that is growing in grace, growing in Christ, a greater understanding of the gospel. Um, and we, we do that here at Grace. We have four things, four values, if you will, um, if, you've, if you've ever been to a training here at Grace or, or probably in past sermons, you've heard us talk about these four areas of worship, community, disciple-making, and service. And we're trying to grow in these areas, but from the gospel at the center, from grace at the center. Uh, we sang that song, Union with Christ. Because Christ is in me, therefore Christ can live out through me. So I don't worship in order to gain more of Jesus or to gain God's love. I don't serve to gain approval from God. I don't do community in order to prove myself. I do all of these from a position of grace, from, a, from an understanding of what has been done already for me. And then what am I doing? I'm letting that come out of me. I'm expressing Jesus through worship, community, disciple-making, and service. And today we're going to talk about community. Obviously, we all want, like we just saw in that video, beautiful testimonies. We want a caring community. We want a comforting community. This morning, I want to talk to you about our need for the discipline of being a cleansing community, a cleansing community. We want to be able to see how Christ, in John 13, establishes the disciples as cleansers and how that carries down through the years to us so that we, Grace Baptist Church, 2024, are a cleansing, can be a cleansing community. So, we'll, we'll have two points this morning. The, in the first point, we'll talk about the cleansing community established, that's Jesus and the disciples, and then we'll talk, talk about the cleansing community ongoing, the church, the cleansing community ongoing. So, number one, the cleansing community established, established. So, we'll ask, we're going to ask some questions as we go through this. What's the setting? What's Christ's motivation? What is He teaching us? What is He teaching them? And what has He done for them? What's the setting? What's the motivation of Christ? What is Jesus teaching them? And 
What has He done for them? The setting, the setting in this passage is Passover night. John 13, it's the Last Supper. They're gathered to celebrate the Passover feast. It says that in verse 1. Now, before the Passover feast, or the Feast of Passover. And so, obviously, this is hearkening them back to the Exodus, deliverance from Egypt. And they sell, a good Jew celebrates this every year. All of the Jewish people from all over the empire, they traveled to Jerusalem for this feast. So Jerusalem swells up in population, uh, quintupling in population during these feasts. This is the night of Christ's death. Later this night, Jesus will die. And so this is Jesus as he's about to leave, and he's going to tell them that the Holy Spirit will come. I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming, and he's beginning to show them what kind of community he wants them to be in his absence, but the Spirit's presence. What is Jesus' motivation What's empowering him to do what he's about to do in washing their feet? Well, verse 1 tells us it's his love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That word end means to the fullest. doesn't mean to the end of time. It means, it means to perfection. He's about to show them the greatest display of love not just in washing their feet, but ultimately in dying on the cross, he will show them the greatest display of love. Greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus is about to do that. He's loving them. He also is motivated by his position. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and he was going back to God. So Jesus knew three things. Jesus knew his own sovereignty. He knew he, was, he had been given everything. I, I'm in, I'm in Dad, put me in charge, is what Jesus knows. He knows that he comes from God. He has been sent by God the Father. He knows that his mission is God-ordained. And he also knows that after he accomplishes his mission on the cross, he will go back up to the Father. He knows those three things. And when he knows those three things, in other words, he knows his identity. He knows his purpose. And when he knows that, it allows him to do the hardest thing ever. Wash feet, die on a cross. What is Jesus teaching them? This is a parable. What Sheila read to us, what we see in John 13 is a living parable. Back then, when you gathered for a meal, the lowest servant, the lowest slave, whoever has the lowest status in the group, is supposed to wash everybody else's feet. Now, you know, back then they're wearing sandals, they're walking everywhere, feet are gross. Feet are super gross. And so, and, and the way they would sit, they didn't sit in chairs with their feet tucked under a table. They reclined on the ground, literally with their feet in each other's faces. So, dirty feet, not cool. 
lowest of the low is supposed to wash the feet. And that's what Jesus does for them. You notice nobody else stood up and offered, because to do that would be to admit, I'm the number 12 apostle. (laughs) We know from other gospels that they've literally just been arguing who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand in the kingdom, John and James. Oh, and then their mom gets involved. Remember that? (laughs) Please let my son sit at your right hand and your left hand. So Jesus says, okay, time to take off my coat and wash some feet. Jesus is taking the position of the lowest. In doing so, he's giving them a parable of his life. He came from heaven to earth. He came from king to slave. He came from master of the universe to a a nobody carpenter from Nazareth. It's also a parable of his death. In just a few short hours, Jesus will be stripped of His clothing, and He will literally be poured out for them. Blood and water pouring out of His body for the cleansing, not just of dirty feet, but of sin. And so, Jesus is teaching them. He's not just teaching them how to be humble servants within a hierarchical system, though. He's not saying figure out who's the lowest and make sure they wash feet. No, in verse 14, something radical happens in verse 14 when He says, wash one another's feet. He has just said to all of them, there is no highest and lowest, you're all the lowest. Wash each other. He didn't say, pick out Who's the newbie? Who's the freshman? Who, who, who hasn't been pulling their weight so far? Make him wash feet. No, everybody washes everybody's feet. And so Jesus is on the left washing all of their feet, looking at our diagram. Jesus is on the left washing all of their feet in order that they might learn to do what's on the right, wash one another's feet. Everybody's a Jesus. Everybody's a foot washer. Christian, you're a foot washer. We are called to be a cleansing community of foot washers. No hierarchy, no number ones, no lords and masters, no pride in positioning, just foot washing, just serving. Peter doesn't understand it, does he? Look at Peter in verse 6. Lord, do you wash my feet? You'll never, verse 8, you will, ne- you will never wash my feet. It's very emphatic. Literally, you will never ever until the end of time wash my feet. That's what he says to Jesus. Peter's had this problem before. When Jesus said bluntly, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die, Peter said, far be it from you that that will ever happen to you, Jesus. I will never let that happen to you. And what was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. See, Peter is struggling to understand the way of the cross, isn't he? He's struggling to understand what the crucified life is. He's struggling to understand what Jesus is teaching all of us, that shame is glory, that lowering is raising, that weakness is strength, that serving is leading. 
This is the way of Jesus, isn't it? Peter, Peter's well-intended, of course. He wants Jesus to be exalted. He wants Jesus to be glorified. He wants Jesus to be enthroned. But he doesn't understand the upside down, does he? He doesn't understand the upside down of the gospel. Jesus is going to be enthroned on a cross. He's going to be crowned, but with thorns. He's going to be robed, but in mockery. And Peter doesn't want that to happen. Peter is appearing to be humble, but in actuality, he's self-righteous. He doesn't say it, but we can imagine what he's thinking is, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet, I'm going to wash yours. And for a lot of us in this room, that makes sense. In fact, that's how a lot of you are living your Christian life. You're refusing the washing of Jesus so that you can wash Jesus. I'll wash your feet, Jesus. I do for Jesus. I dedicated my life to Jesus. I'll, I'll recommit my life to Jesus. I'll give my all for Jesus. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. There's an old hymn, I wonder have I done my best for Jesus. Do you remember that old hymn? I'll tell you the answer, no. <laughs> Song's over. Christianity is not about us doing our best for Jesus. It's about us receiving His best. That's what the Christian life is. I'm constantly letting Him wash. I'm letting Him cleanse. I'm not cleansing Him. What has He done for them? Peter doesn't understand. Jesus says, verse 8, verse 8, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no fellowship with me. So Peter, he overreacts the other way. Verse 9, then not just my feet, my hands, and my head. Dunk me. <laughs> Give me a bath. Where's the shower? Jesus, he overreacts the other way. And Jesus responds, verse 10, the one who has bathed doesn't need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Peter, Peter, you're clean. You're clean. That's what Jesus has done for them. He's made them clean, all but one of them. You're, you're all clean except there's, there's one, and we're, we're going to find out who it is in a couple of verses, Right? It's Judas. Spoiler. <laughs> you're clean, but not all of you. You're clean. And when you're clean, I don't have to bathe you again. We just got to get the foot, feet taken care of. See, Peter is clean. He is saved. I believe Peter is saved at this point. In another gospel, Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. I've prayed for your soul. And he predicts this about Peter. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You remember this story? Peter denies Christ three times in just a couple hours after this. And then after his resurrection, Jesus will meet with Peter on the beach. And, he'll, and three times he'll say, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? What's Jesus doing? He's washing his feet. He's washing his feet. Peter's not getting saved in that moment. Peter's getting restored in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
my, my question for all of us this morning, are you clean? Are you clean? There's three mistakes you can make. You could say, I don't need cleansing. I don't need God to cleanse me. I can cleanse myself or I can cleanse Jesus. <laughs> Those are three big mistakes. Listen, you need cleansing. We all need cleansing. We need, we need that original wash, that original baptism of the Spirit. Let's, let's get the sin washed off of you by the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. Only He can do it. Only He has done it. Only He has lived to perfection, loved to the fullest, loved to the end. Only the love of Jesus is perfect love, and that's what God requires, and so you have to receive Christ's cleansing love. Have you done it? I hope you have. I hope you have. If you've done it, then we'll talk about your feet. If you haven't done it, do it right now. Lord Jesus, cleanse me. I need you. I cry out for you. I can't fix myself. I can't cleanse myself. I can't wash away my sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Number two. Now let's talk about us. The cleansing community continues. Us, the church. We'll ask our questions backwards. What has Christ done for us? Has he cleansed us? Yes. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of works of righteousness, not because works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Have you been washed by the Holy Spirit? Have you been washed regenerated, made alive, cleansed from death unto life. That's what regeneration means. Renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus does for us when we in faith receive Him. He cleanses us once and for all, fully cleansed, fully forgiven, fully sanctified, fully glorified, fully redeemed, fully holy, fully righteous. Amen. That cleansing never needs to be repeated. To think that it does means to think that Jesus has to die on the cross over and over and over again. That's why when we take communion in a little bit, we don't say that Jesus is dying again. We don't think it's the literal body and blood of Jesus because we don't think that Jesus has to give his literal body and blood to us again. Once was enough. He has cleansed us. He has loved us. Jesus loves us to the fullest. He's loved you to the end. Christian, do you know that it is impossible for Jesus to love you any more than he does right now. I get it. That's hard. That's hard. Could, could Jesus love you any less? Could Jesus love you any less? No. Could Jesus love you any more? 
No. He has loved you to perfection. How do I know? Because he died for you. Because he died for you. And he shares his life with you. What is Jesus teaching us? If this is true, that we are cleansed and loved, what is Jesus, so what is Jesus teaching us to do in this passage? He's teaching us the necessity of living as a cleansing community. Did you shower today? Should have been more. Should have been more yeses. Should have been way more yeses. Did you wash your clothes, the clothes you're wearing? Did you wash those? Did you brush your teeth? Okay. Okay. I, and, I, and I get that this metaphor can fall apart, but stay with me. <laughs> stay with me. Look, you, you take a shower in the morning, and then what happens throughout the day? Instead of feet, let's do hands. We're more used to hands. Your hands get dirty throughout the day, don't they? Right? You're helping somebody fix something. Oh, I got a little grease on my hands. Maybe you rolled up your sleeves to keep the clothes clean. And then what do you do? What do you do when your hands get dirty? What do you do? You wash them. Oh, you're going to eat a meal. What do you do? Wash them. You go use the bathroom. What do you do? You wash your hands. Oh, you got something in your, you got something in your teeth. What do you do? You get it, you get it out, huh? right? I, brought, I already brushed my teeth. My teeth are clean, but I, I, got, I got that one little thing in there, right? Get that out, huh? Oh, you got a spot, you got a spot on your shirt. Get out your, we have a Tide pen in our car, right? Get my Tide pen out. Because I don't want to walk into church with Dunkin' Donut on me. Are you with me? Okay. Vertically, you and God, clean, clean horizontally, junk in the teeth, gunk under the fingernails, right? Coffee on the shirt. You with me? So, Jesus' commandment to them in chapter 13 isn't, let me wash your feet over and over. His commandment is, wash one another's feet. He's talking about relationships, right? Me and Jesus are always cool. If I'm in Christ, union with Christ, if I'm in Christ, me and Jesus are always cool. But me and Andrew might not always be cool, right? We work together. No, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. We work together. So eventually we're going to butt heads. We're going we're gonna to say something stupid to each other, maybe mean, I'm married to joy. Eventually, something's going to happen. And we gotta, I got to get my feet washed. I got to get my feet washed. We need regular spiritual cleansing from one another in our corporate relationships, not to avoid condemnation and judgment from God, but to be able to live as a loving and holy community in the world. Now let that soak in. My relationship with Christ, my relationship with God is 
conditioned upon Jesus alone, but my relationship with you, my relationship in the body, my relationship in my family, these need constant checks, don't they? They need constant checks. Why? Because every day we're walking. Remember, that's what the feet are. The feet revealed the person's life. Where, where have you been? <laughs> As I take that sandal off and I look at this guy's foot, this woman's foot, I can probably say, oh, wow, you've been to the, you, you've been to the, the region of Judea, or you must have walked all the way from Galilee. I can tell by the type of mud on your feet. I can tell what kind of work you do or, or what struggles or how long you've been walking simply by looking at your feet. What temptations and trials and traumas and stumbles and falls and burdens and hurts have you walked through? Who gets to see those? Who sees your feet? We have to wash each other's feet with the gospel. We have to cleanse each other by bringing us back to that love of Christ. You are clean. You are clean. You are loved. Now, can we talk about the temptations? Can we talk about the trials? Can we talk about the hardships? Can we talk about all the hurts that you've been through in light of the gospel? Consider, consider these scriptures. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Foot washing. Foot washing. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Foot washing foot washing. Let me see your feet. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Foot washing, foot washing. Let me see your feet. Let me gently clean your feet. The question is, are you, like Peter, sinfully resisting this kind of a cleansing community? You won't wash my feet. Nobody's seeing these feet. I hate my feet, by the way. I would be embarrassed for y'all to see my feet. So the metaphor works for me. But we're not talking about feet, are we? We're not talking about feet. Jesus, this is what Peter is saying. What, did Peter, what is Peter saying? Jesus, you don't wash my feet, I wash your feet. How many of us as Christians are living this same exact way? We're trying to serve Christ with dirty feet. We don't let anybody into our lives. We don't let anybody know about the trials and temptations and the sins and the failures and the problems of our life. And yet we're out there, busy, 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 doing, 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 serving the Lord. 
while our feet stink. Because we're not letting anybody take a look at them. Don't be Peter. Don't be Peter. If Jesus literally walked in here right now with a big tub of water and a towel, and he said, line up everybody for foot washing, would you let him? Well, I got lunch in an hour, Brady. There's a lot of people in here. That could take a while. No, come on. If it was Jesus in the flesh, right, we would line, we'd, get, we'd run back and get in line again. We would get in line again just to let him do it again. You missed a spot, Jesus. <laughs> would you let me wash your feet? Literally. Literally, would you let me wash your feet? Now, let's take the metaphor out. Jesus says, I want to I sit down with you. I want to hear all your hurts, all your failures, all your sins. I want you to expose yourself to me fully while I listen to you, encourage you, and pray for you. Would you sit with Jesus and do that? He invited you out to lunch and said, that, and that's gonna, that's, we're, we're not talking the weather. We're not talking about the big game. We're going to talk about your heart. Would you go to lunch? What if I invited you to do that? What if any church member in here invited you to do that? Would you do it? What is our motivation? What is our motivation? What allows us to do what Jesus did? The same two motivations. First of all, love. Love. It was in verse 34. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. How did he love them? Literally. What did he just do to show them that he loves them? He washed their feet. Love each other that way. And it's not about washing feet. It's about cleansing. It's about heart cleansing. Love each other to the heart. Love each other from the heart. Love each other in such a way that you are open and honest with one another so that people are able to expose themselves and find cleansing, exhortation, confession, healing, admonishment, all the verbs we just read in the New Testament. Love as I have loved you. Notice the motivating power. It's changing. You say, how is this a new commandment? Love, love one another. That's not a new commandment. That's as old as the Ten Commandments. That's as old as Deuteronomy. That's, you know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor how? As yourself. What's the new commandment? Love each other as I have loved you. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear? There's a new power behind this. It's not just, I love the way I want to be loved. That's the old commandment. The new commandment is, love the way you have been loved. You hear it? Love the way you want to be loved versus love the way you have been loved. That's the new commandment, and that's empowering. Notice also that our position is the same as Christ. Christ knew where He came from, and He knew where He was going. 
He knew that he came from the Father, and he knew that he was going to the Father. Christian, have you been sent by the Father into the community, into the church community, to love like Jesus? Yes. As I have been sent, so send I you, Jesus says. Are you headed back to the Father after your mission is complete? Yes. Can that not empower you? Can that not empower you? Love plus identity, love plus purpose, can that not empower us? Maybe you're thinking, Brady, look, if it was literally Jesus, of course I'd do that. It's, I'm not worried about Jesus. I'm not worried about exposing my heart to Jesus. Brady, I'm not even worried about exposing myself to a good friend. You know who I'm worried about? Judas. He's in the story too, isn't he? We're not going to skip him. <laughs> Look, some of you have been hurt by a Judas. I get it. Some of you have church hurt in your background. Some of you have small group hurt in your background. I told my life secret, and they blabbed it. What happens in small group stays in small group is supposed to be the motto, but that doesn't always happen, does it? Sometimes you got a Judas at the table. Sometimes you got a Judas in the circle. Sometimes you got a Judas in the prayer group. Sometimes you got a Judas in the small group. What did Jesus do knowing that he had a Judas? He washed his feet. <laughs> he washed his feet. He did it anyway. <laughs> it doesn't say he loved 11 of them to the end. <laughs> It doesn't say he washed 11 sets of feet. He loved everybody and he washed everybody's feet, knowing that one of them is about to turn on him. Look, here's how C.S. Lewis says it in his book, The Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, Give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I implore you, do not lock your heart up in your casket of self-protection. What is our setting for all this? We have settings that look like the left. This is one of them. I'm up top. I'm, I'm feeding the Word to the congregation. That's a setting. It's a biblical setting. But true heart cleansing doesn't happen in that left-hand setting alone, does it? 
Jesus knew that what he was doing for them wasn't enough. They had to be able to do it to one another. And so he established the right-hand side as well. Wash one another's feet. Find an environment, find a setting where you can cleanse and be cleansed. We believe here at Grace that the best way for this to happen is in small groups, in small groups. This is where mutual discipleship can happen, not just care and comfort, but also cleansing. I am under no delusions. I know that small groups are not in the Bible. I am not saying that you have to be in a small group in order to grow spiritually or be a good Christian. If I said that, I'd be adding to the gospel. But what I am saying is that you are required by Christ to be in a community where you are washing feet. He has commanded you to do that. He has commanded you with over 51 another statements. Love each other, exhort each other, warn each other, admonish each other, encourage each other, bear one another's burdens. On and on and on and on we could go. Those are commanded by Christ, and I will say, you cannot grow alone. Impossible. Impossible. You can't grow by staying home. You can't grow. No Christian grows by just doing their own personal daily devotions. They just don't. I'll say it. You don't. Jesus said to Peter, if you don't let me clean your feet, you don't have a share in me. Let me encourage you. Do you want a share in Christ? Do you want to fellowship with Christ? Do you want to experience Christ? Then take up your cross. Self-sacrifice. Lower yourself. Expose yourself. Wrap a towel around your waist. Serve be vulnerable, be open. Don't join a small group. Listen, listen to me. Don't join a small group because it's what good Christians do. Don't join a small group because Pastor Brady's pushing it. That's a, that's a terrible reason to join. Um, don't don't join a small group because it's a great way to get connected and know people. That's not a bad reason, but it's not the best. Don't, definitely don't join a small group because it'll prove how committed you are. Join a small group because you believe that God has saved you into His body whereby you are called to be part of a mutually cleansing, caring, and comforting community of spiritual friends. Pastor Tim Keller, in talking about small groups in his church, he said this, he says, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. 
What does he mean? Will your small group be a debacle sometimes? <laughs> yes. Will it be hard sometimes? Yes. Will it be difficult? You better believe it. Will it be boring? Yeah. Sometimes it'll just be boring. <laughs> Embarrassing, judgmental. Are you likely to say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Yes. Yes, you are. But anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Why? Because in taking that position, the position of stooping, the position of kneeling and washing, you are experiencing a share in Christ. You are fellowshipping not just with these people, but with Jesus himself. That's why he says, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Happy are you if you do them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you sent your Son to earth as one of us because way back at the very beginning you said, it is not good for man to be alone. None of us can do this alone. We need comfort. We need care. We need encouragement. I know, I'll speak for myself. I need cleansing. I need somebody to point out the dirt, the gunk, the doo-doo, the, the, the hurts, the issues, the temptations, the failures, the stumblings in my life. I need people that will point that out and return me to the cleansing water of you, Jesus. I want that in my life, even though I don't always want that. <laughs> it's hard. It takes time. It's awkward. But Jesus, your grace is sufficient. Happy are we if we do it. We love you, Lord. As we go to your table together as one big group, may you apply your love and mercy to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.